The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Rockheads, quit practicing your kung fu grip and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number 469 with guest Brad Cunningham, recorded live Tuesday, July 21st, 2009. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering .NET Nuke video training with Chris Hammond from Engage Software on DVD, DNR TV style. Order your copy now at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Telerik, combining the best in Windows forms and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com. And by Code Magazine, the leading independent magazine for .NET developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the man who sent Melinda Gates an iPhone for her birthday. Sorry, Bill. Carl Franklin. Thank you very much. Welcome back to Don Rocks. Carl and Richard with you. Howdy. What's up? Ah, uh, you know. Another good day, another great show. Another great show. We hope you're all having fun out there in .NET land and uh, taking advantage of our archives, our extensive archives. And uh, you can go to previous shows on the web page of .netrocks.com. And if you've never seen DNR TV, now's the time to start. DNRTV.com. It's like .NET Rocks, but visual. You know, Absolutely. It's a screencast. Yeah, it is a screencast. One of the first, I might say. Yeah, might, back when I it wasn't hip to make a screencast. Yeah. Back when we were just a couple of nerds tinkering in our garage with <laughs> with screencast software. There you go. Yeah. Anyway, let's get into Better Know Framework. All right. Better Know Framework, of course, this little segment where I shine a little light in a dark corner of the .NET framework in hopes that over time, by osmosis, you'll hear something that interests you and go investigate further. Today, I'm talking about system.link. Dot I grouping. Ooh, L-I-N-Q? L-I-N-Q. Oh, tell me about your link. Yeah, so I grouping is an interface that represents a collection of objects that have a common key. And it has two uh, generic types that it takes, T key and T element. So uh, it's basically used in link all over the place, and you can use it yourself. So would you use this to build your own provider in link? No, you would you would use the provider model, but uh, what you would use that for? Um, well, let me just read you the what it says in the remarks. Okay. So it says an I grouping is an I enumerable of T that additionally has a key. So I enumerable is is what any list uses, right? Right. So like a dictionary has a key. The key represents an attribute that's common to each value in the I grouping, 
right? The values are accessed much the same way as the elements of an innumerable of T are accessed. So you can access values by using a for each, uh, or, or you can iterate through the I grouping uh, object. There's an example that shows you how to access both the key and the values of an I grouping. So you would just use this to create your own, you know, custom dictionaries in Link. Cool. Yeah. There it is. Know it, love it, learn it. Know it, love it, learn it. You got an email for us. I do indeed. And I dug back into the archives. You remember show 416 with Brian Wilhite? Yeah. Well, Jeff Webb says, I love show 416 with Brian Wilhite, but holy cow. You discussed European imperialism, African <laughs> cultures, <laughs> empires and religion, and finally, Joseph Campbell. Awesome. My head nearly exploded. I just <laughs> write code. <laughs> I usually listen to .NET Rocks during long runs, but this show caused me no end of problems. I slow down to follow the conversation, then my heart rate monitor goes off, so I speed up to get to my heart rate, and then I slow down to follow the conversation. The net result was that I go down the street looking like some kind of deranged lunatic. Yeah. So... For the love of all your running listeners, please provide warnings on shows like this one. I suggest something like the following. <clears throat> Let me pull up my warning voice. Warning. This show jumps around like a highly caffeinated squirrel. Running while listening may result in decreased fitness, being carted off by Funny Farm, or death by bus. <laughs> that was a fun show. Yeah, it was a great show. It was we, different. We're going to do more like that. And Jeff, thanks for the email. Uh, we'll fire you a .NET Rocks mug. And if you've got any questions, concerns, comments on any show, something you'd like to see, send us an email, .NET Rocks at franklins.net. And that brings us to uh, our guest today, Richard, is Brad Cunningham. He's a senior software engineer at Internology, a Microsoft Gold certified partner in Carlsbad, California. Brad has 10 years of industry experience developing a wide range of desktop and web-based applications for many different industries. His work at Internology focuses on bleeding-edge Microsoft technologies such as Whoopafa, Silverlight, <laughs> and Surface. Recently, Internology has been breaking new ground in touch-based application development. As an early adopter of touch development, Brad is focused on the usability of touch applications and the challenges associated with transitioning from the desktop developer mindset to the touch developer mindset. Welcome, Brad. Hi. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for coming. Sure. So good old Internology, our friend Tim Huckabee is an old friend of the show, is the CEO of Internology. How are you guys doing over there? We're doing good. We're uh, we're doing a lot of cool things lately. Uh, it's a little hot in Southern California, but other than that, we're doing good. It's okay to be hot. It's not okay to be on fire. <laughs> That's right. We're not we're not quite there yet, but uh, but yeah, we're doing we're doing some pretty neat things. Some uh, some Windows Seven Touch, some Surface stuff. Uh, diving a little bit into Silverlight Three Touch, even so. Uh, we got some interesting things coming out soon, I think. Tell us about Windows 7 Touch. I mean, we all know what Surface is if you've been listening to the show or, you know, been a developer for a while. But uh, how does that work on Windows 7? You have to have special PCs or special hardware for that? Yeah, there's, uh, there's right now the, the most common is the HP device, the HP Touch Smart. Um, that's I got one. Seeing it. Yeah, that's what a lot of people have. You're seeing them at Best Buys and some of the other big box stores and things like that. Um, and Dell's got um, a couple of versions that they've made um, that does some touch um, some touch hardware as well. So huh. it's usually um, implemented in using either what's called capacitive touch or infrared touch, um, basically two different hardware implementations of how to capture your fingers as they touch the, the screen and move around, and then they can track those movements. And 
the device driver will then send a message to the, the Windows message pump to say this is the input data that I'm getting. Um, you know, a similar way to how they're tracking mouse movements and things like that. Is it specifically for uh, for hardware that's built for touch, or can you get like a monitor that has touch built into it? Is this, or you know, do, are we forced to get a, the whole computer? Is what I'm saying? No, you, you know, yeah, you can definitely get um, just a monitor. So there's there's a couple companies out there um, that sell these touch overlays. Um, some of them are either like a, a, a film, like a capacitive touch film that you lay over an existing monitor, and some of them are kind of like a snap-on bezel you can put over the top of a monitor, and, uh, and then they, plug, they typically plug in USB and, huh. you know, have a little driver software you install, and then you've got a touch-enabled computer. So if you're running, um, say, XP or Vista or something, um, those touches are going to be translated into, you know, single left mouse clicks and mouse movements, uh, if you're running Windows 7, however, that, o- that OS has, you know, richer support for touch and gestures, and so it can actually interpret the gestures to be something more complex than, right. than just a mouse movement or a mouse click. Hmm. Yeah, you don't see a lot. Generally, when you see touch solutions right now, it's like the Touch Smart. It's a, a, a prefab machine. It's not common to find the monitors on sale by themselves unless they're like the kiosk monitors, the, the commercial style. Yeah, yeah, I haven't seen any any of the companies like retail selling just a touch monitor at this point. Um, they're they're at this point they're typically all packaged into you know a full um, solution with a either the HP where everything's kind of built into the screen, um, or uh, and the Dell's got a similar solution, and then sometimes it's kind of a, you buy the full computer with a touch enabled screen. Um, a lot of times you've seen it on on laptops too. These uh, tablet style laptops that are having, um, you know, the screen is a, is a touch enabled screen. But you can definitely go to um, the two, uh, so two of the companies that I know of, um, uh, Ntrig, it's capital uh, N T R I G, um, or Next Window. Those are the two major vendors that are developing the overlays systems for Windows 7. Um, so those are the two vendors that have worked with Dell and with HP to build these bezels and these overlays to snap onto their existing um, their existing monitors or build into the new hardware device. Like the HP Touch Smart is a is an all new solution, but the um, the actual touch implementation was done by a, another company. I believe it was um, Next Window that did that for HP. What was the first? Uh... The first one was called Ntrig. It's a capital letter N dash T R I G Trig like. Uh, Trig, like the math class that we probably both failed. So. I got an A in Trig, thanks. <laughs> it was the last time I got an A in math. <laughs> uh, so there's a bunch of different technologies here around touchscreen. Does it matter which one you use? I, I think that the HP TouchSmart one is actually like an infrared scanner of some kind. Right, it is. It's It's actually, if you go, like, if you have one or if you go to... Uh, you know, a Best Buy or something, take a look at it, you'll see that the the plastic bezel, there's a space in between the plastic bezel and the actual screen, and in that bezel, they're, they're projecting infrared light across the surface of the screen, um, and that's how they're, when you, when you put your fingers in there, you're breaking up that infrared light, and that's how they're detecting touch, um, versus something like a capacitive touch, so something like the iPhone is using a capacitive touch layer, which is actually kind of a two-piece film that, when pushed together, um, will generate a, a small electrical charge that will be discharged into your finger, and that's how they're tracking where your contact movement is happening. Right. Wow. Um, yeah. So uh, it, it, there's there's different implementations 
of the touch, and there's definitely places where they're more appropriate. So the infrared is is cheaper at this point and easier to scale. So if you're doing a much larger scale screen, say like a 30-inch, like these touch smarts come in, I think, 32-inch or 28-inch or something 25. like that. 25.5. Yeah. Um, it, it's cheaper to get them that size when you're doing infrared. Um, the capacitive technology is just too expensive these days. Um, but in like an iPhone form factor, capacitive touch is much more reasonably priced, which is why they can do it. Capacitive touch generally is has got better resolution as far as detecting um, touch events and is much better suited for multi-touch, um, mainly because each of the each of the fingers that you place down on the screen will will discharge a small amount of electricity to kind of build uh, a network of all the touches on the screen so they can detect each finger individually and as each finger moves they can track them all with pretty good precision. The infrared solution isn't quite as nice. Um, the infrared solution is kind of like a grid. If you think of it shooting like infrared light into like a small grid across the screen, if you stick a finger there, you're getting an XY position on screen where your finger is. But if you stick another finger either uh, directly to the side of it or directly above it, uh, the first finger is obstructing some of that light and the resolution tends to break down and it doesn't do very well with tracking multiple touches um, because it's one giant grid and uh, the more fingers you put on there, the more noise there get in the grid and it can't quite figure out the touches so i think with the touch smart i think it was only two touches you can't do right, more than that right it's only a dual touch um at this point dell has one called the uh, studio one and um it's a similar form factor to the touch smart um but it's using a capacitive touch screen and i believe it's like eight or nine contacts that it supports um and dell has a laptop version called the latitude xt um, that's using capacitive touch also, which I think is about eight or nine contacts that it supports. Uh, and, and HP does have another version of the TouchSmart um, in a laptop form factor called the TouchSmart TX2, which is using capacitive touch, not infrared. Um, although I think that is still dual touch, and I think that limitation is, is strictly just a driver issue, uh, not a hardware issue. Cool. Yeah, the, the Studio One is a 19-inch screen, so it's a bit smaller. Right, right. Again, because the capacitive touch screen is uh, a bit more expensive. So, yeah. What's resistive touch? Resistive touch um, is kind of the um, the original touch that was uh, created. This is Yellow Yellow Touch Systems is the name of the company. Oh, right. And uh, right. in like the seventies, they created a, a touch a resistive touch panel called AccuTouch. Um, and the, for the long time, that's what you were seeing in um, the early kiosk scenarios and airports and things like that before this capacitive and infrared touch really took off. Um, it was, I, I, don't, I don't know a ton about um, the hardware implementation of how resistive touch works. It's similar to capacitive touch in that, you know, it's a charged panel um, in some way. Um, but it seems the early, like, HTC phones, um, the early touchscreen phones were using resistive touch, um, which was kind of a, like a, a pressure-based um, type of thing. So it's, it's charged, but as you push, what you're doing is you're pushing two pieces of film together to create a charge rather than discharging some of that uh, electricity into your finger. So capacitive touch, it'll discharge a bit into your finger. Resistive touch, you actually push the two panels together to create a contact. Um, the problem with the resistive touch, though, is that it, because of that, it can't do multi-touch because as soon as one finger presses the two, the two pieces of film together and creates a contact, any subsequent finger won't do anything. Um, right. Won't create a second uh, second contact because the two film two pieces of film are already pressed together. So, now, do you really need more than two touch? When I think about all the gestures that you do, 
after two, it sort of gets questionable. That's a good question. Um, you know, we, we've been developing <clears throat> Windows 7's apps using the HP TouchSmart, which limits us to dual touch. Um, right. And that allows us some freedom of gesture. So we're, we're able to do the, the typical kind of um, pinch and spread, which is the expand and collapse kind of zoom in, zoom out thing that you see a lot on right. iPhones and map devices and things like that. Um, we're able to do some basic rotation um, and obviously in a single finger gesture, but um, the the cases where more than two touches become interesting is anywhere where you're going to be doing social, um, uh, this might get a little risque, you might want to put a, a warning on this show, anywhere you're going to do social touching, <laughs> um, when you're going to have uh, more than one person uh, sitting around a device or standing near a device. So in, in the instance of Surface, the idea is to yeah. have two or three or four people and Obviously, I can't tell whose hand is is whose. It's just a bunch of contacts on screen. Um, right. So I need the ability to process those additional uh, those additional touches so that I can have an experience where multiple people can be doing something at once. Um, there actually were some there were some innovations in the area to try to, to figure out um, how who is who sitting around a table based on the touch. Um, I remember seeing a demo. I think it was by Mitsubishi. And you had to sit in this chair and place, it was basically like an electric chair. You sit in the chair, place your feet down on an electrical pad, stick your hand on the table. It discharges some electricity through your hand all the way down and grounds at your feet. And then it detects that that's, that's this person in this chair. And then it can track your hand while it's on the table. Wow. Uh, which is kind of, kind of creepy to me, but uh, <laughs> well, it works. You know, I guess a... if you're willing to strap yourself down and you know, put electrodes on your head and things like that, then you might be okay. I've always wanted a sort of virtual mixing desk as an audio engineer that, um, you know, everything we do in the studio here is in the digital domain. I don't even have a mixing board anymore. So um, we just plug our microphones into preamps and then digitize them and then do everything digitally. So having something where I could, you know, uh, put all eight, at least eight fingers on the screen and move faders, you know, as as I need to, if I need to have three at a time or two at a time, it'd be kind of cool to do that. I can imagine, you know, some games that require you to put your hands on the screen and push buttons, a whole bunch of different buttons. You might need more than two at once. Sure. Sure. But it really thinks it's more of a surface form factor where that happens rather than a monitor form factor. Yeah, it definitely wouldn't be a monitor. It might be a horizontal monitor like a surface or or something that's on a on a you know like a regular monitor that has touch but turned on its side. Well, and I think there are some cases where um, you know a traditional form factor monitor just in a much bigger scale makes sense. So one of the one of the companies that has really pioneered um, this whole touch revolution, at least from the sense of you know getting it out and getting the wow factor and getting it out to the masses, is is a company called Perceptive Pixel. Um, and so you know for those that have seen the the infamous demos that they did at TED, they they show their their massive uh, wall form factor touch um, screen, and there's multiple people walking up and moving objects around on screen. You know, standing at the at the wall. This is the this is the same thing that we all saw in the you know the U.S. elections uh, this past year on on the news channels like CNN and MSNBC had big uh, you know election maps that were shown on, on the wall and the news anchors would go over and be able to touch on the screen, this large screen that was all built by Perceptive Pixel using their technology, um, which is obviously slightly different from Surface, but, you know, definitely in the competitive realm. 
Um, so, you know, they have, they're using an infrared camera technology similar to how Surface is doing it. Um, the, the downside there is you need about 10 feet of space behind the wall where the device is so the cameras can get enough resolution. So there's this big hole they cut in the wall and it's about $100,000 to get going. It's all written in C++ and it's all custom job. And, you know, the development aspect of it isn't as appealing, but there's certainly an aspect of having a, a massive monitor on the, on the wall and having multiple people come up and, uh, you know, uh, socially uh, touch each other, I suppose. <laughs> All right, all right, all right. <laughs> so I'm just I'm I've now had the Touch Smart in my life for a couple of months in the kitchen at the at the house, and mm-hmm. folks are getting used to using it. It is a good way with some of the basic applications to scroll around and look for things and check the weather and and that sort of stuff. Uh, I think the girls are even getting good at accessing Facebook with Touch. Uh, mm-hmm. Is it just totally a consumer technology? I'm trying to imagine a business application that's not kiosk where touch makes sense. Yeah, I mean, there's there's some, uh, you know, we've said internally, if you ever make me build a spreadsheet using touch, I'm going to go crazy, right? So, I mean, <laughs> there's never going to be Excel touch version. That just doesn't make sense. Um, right. So, I think, yeah, I think your day-to-day kind of business apps probably don't make sense. But, um you know, there, I think there are scenarios, you know, one of the things we're thinking about is in in an industry that has, you know, maybe a, a real-time data issue where there's lots of data being pumped into the system and needs to be visualized on screen. Um, you know, we, we've thought about some internal demos we're, we're kicking around. Um, I don't know. I, I can't tell you too much of it. Otherwise, I'd have to kill you. But, right. um, uh-huh. we, you know, there's some idea of... A, a real-time system spitting out a whole bunch of data that needs to be quickly dealt with and organized and um, putting that in a large form factor, allowing multiple people to help with the organization of this data and move it around using their hand, um, which is, you know, uh, can, can be more, more dexterous and more precise in some cases than a mouse and, and quicker for someone to grab a piece of data, move it to the correct bucket, grab the next piece of data, move it to the correct bucket. Um, you know, I think there's some scenarios there where that makes sense. Um, there's certainly some industries where, uh, y- you know, the, the person using the machine may not be in a, in a place where they can sit down and use a keyboard and a mouse. Um, that may fall more into what you would think is a kiosk, but it's not so much as a, a wizard step-by-step check into your Southwest Airlines thing. It's, right. it's more, uh, you know, um, use this running application, but it, it's touch-enabled. Um, you can be... You can be in the middle of surgery, cutting somebody open, and then reach over and you know check your Facebook or whatever. I guess nice. <laughs> whatever you need to do. <laughs> Although I've actually found that the touch keyboard on the uh, Touch Smart is pretty good. Like it, it was work. Mm-hmm. It's not as good as a real keyboard, but you know you you can definitely touch your way through it. Yeah, yeah, and I think that in most of our experience, most of what I've seen. The keyboard is there at this point just as a necessity because so many apps are not optimized for touch. But where you really start to see a benefit is when you when an app is built from the ground up with, with touch in mind or when the business problem that you're solving is really a, a touch-based problem. So, I mean, there's some of these, um, some questions that I've asked people in, in kind of discussing this has been, what are you doing in your application with a mouse that's really just emulating what a human would do in real life with their hand. 
Right. So in a lot of cases, you know, we didn't have touch till recently. So we built gestures and interactions with the mouse that was really just emulating touch. But now that we have touch, can we get rid of the mouse emulation and make it a more natural extension to use your hand? Drag uh, being a great example of that. Sure, sure. Well, can I bring us back to the developer for a minute and ask, when we talked to the HP TouchSmart guys, they said there really isn't anything you need to do in your programs for to enable touch except for to make buttons big, bigger, and, you know, things that you need to touch big enough so that you, your finger will hit them. Mm-hmm. Is that is that still true, or is there any API or anything that you can uh, do now that requires code? Yeah, no, no that's, that's still true to a certain extent in that if you'd like to allow a user to essentially just left-click and, and possibly drag... Um, then you can do that using the touch smart and the, the contacts it detects will emulate mouse clicks. So you don't have to, you can use an existing WinForms app, for instance, and touch on the screen and use it, but it's really just taps and clicks. You're not getting any more complex gestures and the workflow of the application may not be optimized for touch. So you may have a lot of text boxes, for instance, that you need to enter data into and the keyboard will keep coming on screen. Yeah. Um, so that's that's definitely true. You can take your existing WinForms app or any app and run it on touch and it, on the TouchSmart and it works. There's a, the, kind of the next level is to really optimize the experience for touch, and that involves you know, changing the way you think about the workflow, changing the way you build the application, changing the way that the user interacts with pieces of data in your application. And with Windows 7, there are additional APIs that you can call and hook into to get these more complex gestures. So instead of just okay. a left click, you can get an expand gesture or a rotate gesture. Okay. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by Telerik, without whose support this show surely would not exist. You know, summer is peaking, and our friends at Telerik are working full steam. They've just released a Q2 volume of the Telerik Premium Collection for .NET, which is their biggest release yet. Packed with new things, It'll surely excite anyone who has anything to do with .NET development. Let's start with Silverlight and the introduction of the first commercial 3D chart on the market. It is developed as True Vector 3D, which guarantees swift performance and rich capabilities like rotation, animations, etc. Another major announcement is the Telerik Silverlight Scheduler, which is packed with tons of features, even in the first version. Telerik's flagship, Rad Controls for ASP.NET Ajax, grows not only with four new controls, but also with new productivity tools. Take the new Visual Style Builder, an online application that allows you to visually modify skins or design new ones with point and click. And if that's not enough, they've added a completely new product, a free testing framework powered by Art of Test for automating Ajax and Silverlight-rich Internet applications. Since I'm short on time here, I can't enumerate all the new features and enhancements in the Telerik Reporting, Open Access ORM, and their Windows Forms products, so I'll leave it for you to check them out at Telerik.com. And don't forget to say thank you for supporting .NET Rocks. Yeah, I think the gestures become the, the sort of big thing here is how do we get the, the various gestures that people... And how, well, how familiar are people with these metaphors? I think everybody gets the pinch and the, the sort of shrink and, and expand thing. That's very yeah. natural. But some of the flicks and stuff confuse me. Yeah, and that's that's really that was one of the reasons why I kind of started diving into this topic a little further and understanding gestures and touch applications in general is that 
it's such an early time in the whole touch development life cycle that a lot of the stuff isn't standardized yet. Um, you know, when the, when the graphical user interface paradigm shift kind of happened, the early days were kind of like, well, what is this metaphor going to be? How, how are they going to understand desktops and folders and mouse clicks? And, you know, it's so used to command lines and things like that. And yeah. you're kind of, we're, we're kind of making that shift now to what's called NUI or natural user interface. So these standards are yet to be adopted. Um, there's there's one good book that I found out there um, that I think makes an attempt at, at standardizing these things, and it's called um, Designing Gestural Interfaces. Um, it's an O'Reilly Press book, and it discusses general gestures um, and tries to come up with what it you know what the author determines as the gestures that make the most sense. Um, that includes uh, pinch and expand, um, flicking. Uh, left tapping, which is essentially a left mouse click, um, and flinging or scrolling um, and dragging around the screen. Um, that's that, at this point, that's about all that really makes sense. There's always room for custom gestures, and I, you know, people um, have been trying to do that. We've done some things where we said, "Well, how do you, for instance, multi-select items, or how do you delete?" using your hand? Uh, is it a swipe? Is it an X? Is it dragged to a trash can? Um, right. And I, It's just not standardized yet. And I think a lot of it comes down to the problem domain that you're facing. I think some of those gestures are going to be customized for the problem domain, but they'll be customized such that, that it makes sense to the user without having to think about it. Okay. Yeah, the idea that you put a garbage can in some location of the screen and any flicking towards that can makes it go in it. Right, right. Uh, rotation is another one that occurs to me that would be important, but I guess that could be a form of drag, right? Yeah, yeah. I think we're, I mean, as far as definitely as far as Windows Seven is concerned, and, and most touch frameworks, the rotation is its own its own gesture. Um, you understand the rotation um, that can be compounded with drag or translate gesture, so you can be rotating and moving across the screen at the same time, um, and then you get a little more complex where you're getting a drag and a rotate happening. Um, but but yeah, rotation is definitely its own thing. Um, you want to detect, you know, um, what the angle is of the object, and as you start spinning the object in a circle, how it's rotating and what what effect that has. So, going back to kind of the mixing board, if you had a volume knob or a fader knob or a balance knob, right. you would do a you know a rotation gesture on it there. Yeah. But how much does the average developer have to code for this, and how much of it just would come from a library? Um, at this point. Um, you know, if you're, for instance, doing surface development, all, almost all of that comes from their libraries. Um, you don't have to interpret raw contacts and determine whether they're doing rotation or not. Um, you can get packaged up gesture events and understand what the manipulation is that they're trying to do. Is it a scale? Is it a is it a rotate? Uh, Windows 7 has that as well. Um, and as as we move towards beta two and towards the release of 2010 and .NET four um, and Windows seven, all of those things together, the at least from like a, for instance a WPF perspective, you're going to have a much easier interaction with these gestures. So you'll be hooking into event handlers. Essentially, is what it boils down to. You'll get manipulation started, uh, manipulation delta, manipulation completed, and you can hook into those that event cycle and figure out. Okay, they're starting a manipulation. Which gesture is it? And you'll basically get an enumeration of rotate, scale, um, 
you know, drag. Um, and then in the delta, you can figure out how far are they dragging it, how much are they rotating it, how big are they scaling it. So it's, you know, it's a little bit different. I think from a development perspective, it's it's not totally foreign. Yeah. Um, it kind of becomes a little more foreign when you get into the design aspect of how are you designing your application? How are you how are you building the screens to fit with touch? How are you optimizing your experience to be, you know, touch-friendly? And it's really about responding to all these different gestures and, and thinking about how those metaphors apply to your app. Absolutely. I mean, I think in, in kind of what, what we're trying to do with some of the demos and prototypes we're working on now is, is show, you know, business problems that it makes sense to implement touch and where touch makes sense, and not so much show off all the cool touch gestures. Um, there's, a, there's a handful of apps out there already that, that show off the capability of these gestures, but, you know, it doesn't really make sense. It's, okay, I can rotate my spreadsheet. Yay. Right. You know, <laughs> that, that's, not, that's not that compelling to me. So how about we think of a business problem that really requires this? So something like a mixing board, right, would be interesting. Because now rotate means turn the knob and drag means move the fader. And How about if we invest in this company, our balance sheet will be... Upside down. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, right. I'll make a. I'll make a. You know, draw your own stock chart, and you just scribble your finger on on a line, and oh, yeah. that'll be the stock. Oh chart. man! Yeah. Wow, that'd be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> well, and and yeah, the business app is the tough one. I mean, there you think in the like the audio industry being one thing, my manufacturing where I could have a sealed computer that this they just touch the screen to do certain things or activate processes. And those are all sort of these interesting exception cases. I'm really surprised how well the touch marts fit into the kitchen in the sense of that's the notepad, that's the clock sure. and the and the weather and, and those kinds of things that the, the kids have just gotten taken. No big deal. They can do that. Yep. Yeah, I think that that scenario is a great, consumer-based scenario is to have a device that doesn't require any peripherals. You don't have a keyboard. You don't have a mouse. Um, you know, it's a large screen, and it's, it's something that you interact with quickly and move around some data or organize some data or view some data very quickly, flick through a few things, and then you're done, and you walk away. Right. I mean, that's, that's almost the kiosk scenario, too. That's almost yeah. where they get a lot of benefit from the kiosk. You know, I'm going to go check into a flight at the airlines. I'm going to go in, tap a few buttons, look at some data, say, yes, yes. No, I don't have firearms. No, I don't have dynamite. And then next, and then get your boarding pass. Right. Um, and, and I think it's very effective there. Jumping back to like Alan Cooper UI metaphors, touch is ideal for non-sovereign apps, apps where that don't get a lot of my attention. I interact with them briefly. I want to know as little as possible about them. Just get my thing done and go. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, I think the Surface team understood that too when they built the Surface because, if you, you know, what we've run into, the form factor of the Surface is really appealing to groups of people and very appealing for a short period of time. But you wouldn't build an application that someone would sit down at a Surface table and work with from nine to five. That The form factor isn't built that way. You'd be craning your neck over. You'd be doing some slightly awkward gestures. It's at, at this point, I don't, I don't see the, these types of touch devices being a, a full replacement for, you know, desktop business computing. It, it, just, it just isn't going to happen. But I think there's some very compelling ways that, that, you know, certain industries can build apps that they otherwise would have had to compromise by building a mouse and keyboard type app that now they can unleash the power of, you know, having touch-enabled apps. Yeah, and now I feel bad for sort of dissing kiosk 
right off the bat <laughs> because it's a it's a positive metaphor in more scenarios with this. There's lots of compromises we make normally. Absolutely. I the, the one you know one of the most compelling things to me if you go, you know, next time you're flying, this is where everyone sees kiosks, I think, or you're like at a subway or something. Next time you're going there, would you even consider, even if no one was in line, going up to the person who has a mouse and keyboard and saying, can you check me in? Or would you go to the kiosk? I mean, you're always going to go to the kiosk. You know that it's way faster. And that I don't understand why the person behind the counter doesn't have their own kiosk. Because whenever <laughs> I've had to go there, say the kiosk is out of order, they fumble around with the mouse and keyboard and it takes at least mm. twice as long. Right. Well, and half the time they come around front and use the kiosk for you. <laughs> right, right, exactly, exactly. And it, it moves so much faster, and I think they recognize that, too, because you notice that more and more of these, you know, check-in agents are disappearing and more and more of these kiosks are showing up. They recognize it saves them money and it makes their passengers happier because it's a much faster experience for them. But I think you're getting to the key point here, Brad, which is we're bu- we've got to build software using this where this approach is actually faster than the traditional approach. Oh, yeah. And that's not easy to find. Absolutely. And that's that's where, um, again, I, I wish I could share some more with you without, without having to kill your entire audience, but soon we will have a Win7 Touch demo we're building internally, and, and it will be around, uh, generally around this idea of a real-time data scenario that has lots of data that needs to move and be organized quickly and it's just more efficient to do it using touch. And it's just slower and more compromises have to be made if we have to make it a mouse and keyboard. We, we feel that the scenario we can present will be a more accurate way to deal and manage this amount of data quickly using touch and really show that, look, it's, it's not just show off the fact that you can punch on the screen. It's really show how you can streamline this workflow by, by having touch enabled. So... If I'm interested in getting into touch today, I mean, Win7 is about to RTM. Mm-hmm. Uh, is the touch uh, driver set and SDK and stuff all easily available? What, I mean, what do I need to do this? Yeah, so even now, um, you know, you want to jump in today, you can download, uh, the best way to do it for Win7 specifically, download Visual Studio 2010 Beta 1, um, and then do a Google search for, um, you know, Windows 7 touch examples. Microsoft's got an MSDN uh, section that has a series of hands-on labs and examples of how to do, uh, you know, touch applications. How cynical that you wouldn't just search on MSDN. Sure. Well, oh, sorry, <laughs> sorry. Do a Bing search, um, not Google. You Bing it. And uh, <laughs> uh, Microsoft doesn't listen to this, do they? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, they do, Brad. Yeah. Those um, analogy guys are using what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Um, and so they, they have a, a couple of, um, so, so right now in, in beta one, the, the gesture interaction is kind of this unmanaged land of kind of hairiness that, uh, you pick up messages off the message pump. And if you're a C++ programmer, you'll probably feel at home. If you're a C sharp guy, you probably won't want to look at it. And Microsoft has written some managed wrappers that sit on top, um, you know, that are beta quality. I, I wouldn't say do this in production code right now, but they're beta quality to pull off Windows. Uh, what's called WM Touch or WM Gesture. Those are the two Windows messages. And they're interpreting those for you and, and making it kind of wrapped up in a nice managed code kind of way. Um, and there's examples of how to do it in WPF. Um, there's a WinForms example. Um, and then there's just a straight C++ example of how to interact with these gestures. And you can get going there. Um, the unfortunate thing is that there aren't... Uh, like, so with Surface Development, we have an emulator so we don't all have to have Surface machines. We can run this 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 emulator, the simulator type thing on our desktop, and it 
shows a little finger and we can put multiple fingers and, and emulate these gestures. With Windows 7 Touch, there's, there's nothing to that level. So if you don't actually have touch hardware, um, then you really can't test you know, what you're developing. The biggest thing here is you actually need to buy a touch monitor in some form. Yeah, and that, that's why you know I recommend Entreg or Next Window. Um, they're still kind of under the radar, but you know I've we've had some success hassling them, and I know other people that have hassled them to see if they can get a hold of um, some of those overlays. And they do um, they do have some program. I, I don't know the exact specifics, but they do have a program where you can purchase an overlay or a snap-on bezel for your monitor and and uh, and make your existing dev machine be touch enabled. Uh, what you could also do is, you know, install your app on a little USB key and go into Best Buy and freak the people out. And just plug it in and <laughs> rock and roll at Best Buy. So. But you know, the idea of buying a bezel that I have to snap on a monitor seems more intimidating to me than just being able to buy a monitor that has an extra USB plug on it. Sure. You could definitely do that. Uh, and probably the, the thing is, though, I don't, like you said, I don't know anyone selling just a monitor at this point. Right. Um, at this point, it's it's overlays or like a TouchSmart or a Dell Studio One, like all-in-one type thing. And both those machines at this point in time ship with Vista. That's correct, because Win7 hasn't RTM'd yet. Right. And I believe, the, I believe the Win7 beta program is over at this point, right? I don't believe they're allowing any more downloads of the beta. No. Um, if you have one already, you're good. You can still get a key, but I don't think it's open anymore, so... Um, it's RTMing in October, I believe. October 22nd, I think, is the day. So, yeah. October 22nd is supposed to be on the shelves. It's supposed to RTM any time now. Oh, right. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. So for, yeah, uh, like today? Was it today? Tomorrow? Yeah. Next week? That's any time now. Real soon now. Real soon. Yeah. yeah. The toolkit that I want is all in Studio 2010. That is the best way to get it. Yeah, that's that's what I would... Uh, you know, if you're going to be doing Windows 7 touch development, you're you're going to want to go to .NET 4. You're going to want to go to 2010 Beta 1. You're just not going to be able to... It, the, the framework doesn't have the support for these things um, in 3.5 SP1. So okay. spin up a VM, put put 2010 on there, do something like that, have a little... Um, you know, and, and and the benefit is learn, you know, learning 2010. There's a lot of neat things in 2010 outside of, of touch that are, that are cool to dive into. Um, and and .NET four has some interesting things that are fun to dive into too. But is there any reason to think about doing touch for Vista, or we should just focus on Win seven? Uh, well, so uh, Windows has been what they call touch enabled since um, since Vista. Although I think they argue it somewhat with XP, like SP two also. But what that really meant was that it had stylus support for tablet PCs. Um, and most of that was either stylus emulation or mouse emulation. If you really want to do true, like raw touch and touch gestures, you got to go to Win Seven, um, because mainly because those WM touch and WM gesture messages on the Windows Message Pump don't exist except in Win Seven. So even if you had an overlay and you put your hands down on the overlay and you're running Vista and you did some gesture, those drivers wouldn't be able to generate a Windows message that Windows knows anything about. Right. Um, so if you really want to do rotations and you want to do the pinch and expand and you know you want to do those kind of gestures, you got to have Win Seven for that. Yeah. So it, the answer to my question then is yes. Yeah. <laughs> Just, and, uh, and, and Win Seven's awesome, right? So. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that was the other side of it. Is I don't think anybody's trying to encourage anybody to go to Vista these days. They're just say, go to Win Seven. 
yeah, I don't know. Maybe if you have a blue badge, you're still trying to encourage people to go to Vista, but <laughs> who knows? Yeah, it's just so much. Yeah, seven so much of a better version. Yeah, I absolutely. Agree. I agree. Well, and it, it's funny how all this really came from the surface. The surface seemed to break this concept of touch out into something beyond the the uh, retail kiosk model. Definitely, they they definitely were the ones to push the um, the social computing aspect side of it. They're definitely interested in getting groups of people around the table and having those groups of people all working on, you know, one problem or in one problem domain or on one end goal. Um, so you may be playing a collaborative game where the point is to get all of your blocks into a bucket or something, and you can have multiple people on the same machine you know, physically interacting with you and getting to that same end goal. You could be editing photos, you could be viewing photos, and you can throw yeah. a few over to the other person. That's, that's cool. They were they were really the one in the whole collaborative space, um, and that's really where they want to stay. I think. I think they their investment is in that collaborative touch computing, um, and that's where they really excel. Now, what's interesting is going forward. The, the Win7 team has been working heavily with the Surface team to understand how they implemented Touch because, you know, Surface runs on Vista. So they did right. their own layer of gesture intera- uh, gesture um, uh, drivers. And, you know, Win7 then came around and said, we're going to be building Touch. And so there's a lot of interaction there. And eventually, although I don't, it, it's not going to be with, obviously with Win7's um, RTM release, but down the road, the .NET 4... WPF, Windows 7 touch stack, and the Surface touch stack will all converge, and they want to get to a place where you can build a Windows 7 application enabled for touch and run it on the Surface and vice versa. Nice. So you can reel the Surface app and run it on your touch smart. Uh, And the programming model will be the same, and the touch gestures and the manipulation engine and all of that will be the same. Well, the key there being that a Surface is still... $15,000. $15,000. Like people aren't going to have them in their homes. Right. But a fully loaded touch smart, I mean, everything on it is two grand. Totally. Yeah. Well, do you think that's going to change? I mean, the whole idea of Surface is that they, you know, they're sort of in V1 version now. By version three, do you think they'll be cheaper? I think they'll get cheaper. Their biggest problem with the cost right now is the um, the infrared camera technology that they're using. So there, inside that Surface machine, are a collection of, of cameras that are projecting up towards this, you know, thick plastic plexiglass layer. And there's an infrared light being bounced around inside that plexiglass layer. And so the camera is getting an image of what that looks like. And then as soon as you stick anything on the surface, it doesn't have to be your hand. It can be a mouse, a keyboard, a blob, a piece of paper. Anything you put on the surface is going to disrupt that light. And the cameras are going to see that image and be able to basically have a, a black and white, uh, you know, image of what's on the table, and that's how they're detecting contacts. The advantage is they have this very detailed, rich, multi-touch environment, and they, you can put anything on the table. You can put your hand and your bottle of water and your cell phone and everything on the table, and it can detect all the different shapes all at the same time. The disadvantage is that that camera technology is very expensive. Right. Um, that, that company I talked about earlier, Perceptive Pixel, that did the, the election coverage, the big wall mount display, they're doing a very similar technique using infrared cameras. Their solution starts at like 100K, I think, and like I said, needs about 10 feet of space behind the wall 
for these cameras to sit to project these uh, these images. And so those cameras are very expensive, and, and the, at this point, they're low-res. Uh, the Surface is 1024 by 768. I mean, it's actually a pretty low-res screen right now. So Yeah, for what it is. Right. So for, for the foreseeable future, it's going to stay expensive. But if this natural user interface revolution takes off and everything starts becoming touch-enabled and more and more vendors start thinking that infrared camera technology is the way to go, you know, supply goes up, uh, demand goes up, and it gets cheaper. You know, that's, that's the hope, I think. So, I mean, it depends. I, I, don't, I don't think anytime soon we're going to see people with Surface machines in their house. Yeah. It's not really built for that. Do you think they could use another technology besides infrared cameras and have it work? They, prob- they, they probably could. Um, and they, I would say they likely will, but if they release something with a different technology, I don't think it'll be called Surface. I think they're going to maintain right. their investment in the Surface platform. Mm and may continue to release other touch-enabled devices under the Microsoft name. Hmm. Well, the sad part is that I've seen very few Surface apps that take a full potential of the hardware that's there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember seeing a demonstration where they were able to discern the different bills lying on, like pieces, the, the, the dollar bills sitting on the uh, the screen. It's it's quite detailed. And for the most part, people are only using it to tap. Hmm. Well, yeah. he recognizes those tags. That's the cool thing. You put these tags with barcodes or whatever they are on underneath objects. You attach them to objects. Then when you set them on the table, it recognizes those as these particular things. That's pretty cool. Right, right. And that's that's also, I mean, so to me, there, and this is my opinion, obviously, but to me, the Microsoft's investment in the Surface platform um, won't really change mainly because of this tag infrastructure and the collaborative nature of Surface. So the form factor is going to stay the same, at least to some extent, so that people can sit around the table and collaborate. You can't put the Surface on the wall because the tags fall right off. So you lose your whole investment in the whole tagging infrastructure if you can't use, if you can't place things to stay stay on the table. Yeah. Um, so I, I think they're going to stay with this kind of coffee table form factor. They're going to stay with a, a medium that people can sit around. Um, they may very well release vertical, uh, you know, wall-mounted implementations of touch devices. I, I don't think, it, and it may be from the Surface team, but it, it probably won't be called Surface. It'll probably be something different. It'll be called um, Wall. Right, <laughs> right. There you go. That's clever. <laughs> oh, I'm a clever guy. You know, the I remember the demos of that, of the, of this, the items, but... I've yet to see an app that really used objects on the screen. Um, yeah, so most most of what we've done has been tag based. We haven't been doing like raw object recognition, like raw image processing. Um, and most for most scenarios, we found that the tag based solution is suitable. Um, the cases where it's not is if you're going to have something where you're going to need to generate millions and millions of tags. I mean, the, right with their with their um, their newer byte tags, they have much higher resolution. You can generate more of these tags, but, you know, people could lose them and it doesn't work. And what if they can't stick the tag to whatever they want to place on the table? And um, so you can do some shape recognition. And we have done some um, hand, like, gesture recognition. So you put your palm down versus your finger and, you know, we can kind of detect differences there. But you're right. We Even what we've done, we haven't leveraged. We haven't found a need yet to leverage that kind of image processing yet. So even if you could only scan the tags, can you give us an example of an app that uses the tags well? Sure. So um, 
we built uh, you know a prototype where users had uh, essentially mobile phones um, devices that were attached to them that were issued by you know a corporate entity. So they work for some company and they get issued a device, a mobile phone device that's for use at work, and that device has a tag on it, and those unique tags identify that employee or and we can place it on the table, we can read the tag off, go look up in a central database somewhere and say, this is the tag placed on the surface. We think it's this user. We can come back and say, punch in your secret pin to make sure that you didn't just steal someone's phone. And then you can then work with the surface and fling items over to a little bucket that's like kind of glowing around your mobile phone and then pick your phone up and we can sync all that data with your phone and you can walk away. Okay. And and of course, we always saw the demo where the guy put the camera down on the the surface, right. and all the pictures fell out of it. The guy? Is that how you refer to Bill Gates these days? Is he's just the guy? Ah. <laughs> uh, he doesn't even work for the company anymore. He's just a guy. Right. He's, a, he's a beggar on the curb these days, huh? Last time um, I looked, he was letting mosquitoes go in a large crowd. <laughs> uh, yeah, and actually, the, you know, I've seen the demo, too, and I don't know how, you know, how much that was kind of smoke and mirrors and how much that actually worked, but, but definitely in what we've done, we've leveraged, um, you know, a typical web service type infrastructure that most co- corporate people would have. And we've hooked our surface machine up to communicate with some central server. And that's how we're passing data. Um, so in that scenario, it has to be known, you know, I have to know who you are based on your tag and it works better right. in kind of a internal environment. There are scenarios and we've done some proof of concepts that you can transfer data over Bluetooth. Um, and so you, you can be even just near the table. And if we can detect your Bluetooth device, we can ask you for authorization and we can send files, you know, beam files to you. Right. That's a little, a little stranger. Um, but it would work great. You know, one of the ideas I've had is it would work great in the entertainment and hospitality industry. If, if I joined your players club for whatever casino in Las Vegas I'm going to, and I'm walking through your casino and your bar is a big surface table and it picks up my device as I'm walking by and it knows that I like Jack and Coke, and it beams me a little ad that says, hey, two-for-one Jack and Coke, come over to the table. That, I mean, that, that's great, right? That's yeah. a great way to market things, and, and your phone would buzz, and you look at it, and you'd be freaked out because the bar is talking to you, and you're standing right. by the bar. There's only one flaw with that. <laughs> <laughs> they, wouldn't, they wouldn't send a coupon to you because they know you already like Jack and Coke. <laughs> of course. But the uh, the combination of tag and Bluetooth makes sense. That if I put a tag down onto the the surface and it reads that tag and goes, "Oh, that's this phone or this uh, uh, camera," I should use this Bluetooth code to get yep. access to it, and then everything sure. works. Sure, and and like I said, it works great in in tor- internal controlled environments where it's a small right. set of users that you you own the devices that they're going to be using, and you own the Surface machine. Yeah. Um, it's a little bit harder in, in public places, but we have done connected surface machines, which isn't necessarily so much tag related, but that, you know, there may be um, objects that are sitting near the table. Um, for instance, we did, uh, we did a surface craps and it was a big craps table and you could play craps. And in order to bet, you picked up a stack of poker chips that had a tag on the bottom and nice. you placed them on there. And based on that tag, um, we knew which denomination it was, and then we had this little. Uh, here's another. Here's another good use of a custom gesture. We had a, a what we called a ratchet gesture, which is basically a rotation. You you hold your hand over the poker chips and you you turn them, 
and that ups your bet or, or turn them the other way and it lowers Ooh. your bet. So you're like cranking a knob, but you're, Clever. you're it's a, it's tactile feedback because you're actually holding the poker chip. That's cool. Yeah. It was pretty neat. Well, you could see in your, uh, in your fader example, Carl, you could have knobs that have, uh, tags on them and you put them down and then they recognize them in the knob and can tell when you turn them. Sure. Absolutely. And those tags could be identifying different knobs. So it could be, you know, a set of little dev- things that are tagged and you put it down and one is balance and one is fade and one is treble. I would prefer to have everything in, you know, electronic on the surface so I didn't have to keep a box of widgets and doodads <laughs> around. Keep your knobs with you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure, sure. But, I mean, it is kind of cool when you're, when, if you think about it that way. But if I could do it all on the surface, I would want to. I, I would only have tags on things that I use in everyday life, like a cell phone or a camera. Sure, sure. Things that are significant away from the surface yeah. as well as by it. Yeah. And there's there's ways in the newest, um, you know, the newest revision of the Surface SDK, there's ways to have your tag launch a specific application and go right in. So we could just be at any surface if it had our application installed or if we could, you know, sneak plug a USB thing in and install, have it auto-install or something and then drop say, uh, you know, a card on the table that has a tag on it and it would launch right into our custom app and say, oh, I know this tag and I have this app installed. I'm going to launch right into it and you're going to, you're going to go crazy and do whatever it is you want to do with your, you know, so you could carry around your driver's license or your, your business card or something with a tag on it. Absolutely. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Well, we're just about out of time. Is there any last minute thing you want to throw out there, uh, Brad? Uh, no, I, I don't think so. I think it was a, it was a good time. Thanks for having me. Uh, hopefully people are not too scared off by the title of this talk. And, uh, <laughs> we, we kept, we kept it pretty PG, I think. So I we're thought okay. so. We're, yeah. It could have been a lot worse. But definitely, uh, you know, if anybody is, is interested in knowing more about this stuff, I think you guys have the links up to my email and my blog. Um, yep. you know, feel free to contact me if you're interested or just have questions. I'd be, I'd love to hear it. We'll put them up there. Thanks, Brad. Thank you guys. All right, take care, and we'll see you next time on the Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website, at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a